Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosity 2.0, the one true podcast and the only podcast to wage war on Christmas. Every it year, It has Matt. begun. Every year. My sole purpose in starting this podcast was to destroy baby Jesus. Yes. <laughs> We're halfway there. Do um, not say Merry Christmas. Don't even utter those words, Matt. <laughs> What shall I say, then? I don't even like Happy Holidays, because that, that has a word, holly, or which it could be interpreted as holy. I just don't like people telling me what to do. Happy Holidays? Shut up! You're not the boss of me. <laughs> Fuck you! Well, the first salvo in the war on Christmas has been launched, and the Fox News Christmas tree is on fire. That's not a war City. on Christmas. That's a war on Fox. <laughs> and I 100% support that, too. <laughs> It's both. It's one of the same. <laughs> oh man! But I mean, I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I was like, oh, this is like so appropriate. It's like in 2020, like seeing an actual dumpster on fire. Now we see a Christmas tree on fire in front of Fox News. However, as you could probably guess, this uh, instantly fed the flames of persecution, the conservative persecution complex. Like, one little thing like this happens, and they're like, oh, no! Oh, no, see? See how terrible it is for us? I'm being oppressed! My freedom to have an obnoxiously lit Christmas tree in front of my building is being oppressed. All Christianity is under fire! The war on Christmas burnt their tree. Megan McCain fired right back, though. She was there. Uh... I don't want to hear anything about how radical some of you believe Republicans to be when there are lunatics running around New York City setting Fox News Christmas tree on fire. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just one. Uh, you're one. right. You're right, Megan McCain. That is, uh, that is far worse than um, is separating children from their parents and putting them in cages right. as a policy of the fucking federal government. I don't want to hear about any Republican lunatics. No, they can assault democracy. They can spread lies on that very news channel. They can have hundreds of thousands of people die by disease. They can attempt to stop the spread of, 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 of actual history, the spread of history. I guess just the teaching of history. Even when it's not being taught, they'll still make up a, a boogeyman. They can attempt to overturn uh, uh, what's apparently a super precedent uh, for women to be able to determine their own reproductive destiny and still simultaneously uh, fuck over children. (laughs) Right. And like one guy sets a Christmas tree on fire and it's like, oh, woe is me. See, this is what we're talking about. This is worse than the persecutions in ancient Rome. That person has already been arrested and charged, and they'll probably get jailed. Was he charged as an enemy combatant in the War of Christmas? (laughs) Is he being waterboarded in Gitmo right now, Matt? Yes. He's like, what other trees were you going to burn? What other (laughs) holiday greetings were you going to utter? We need to know now. Now, damn you. We don't stop it now. The next thing, it'll be, I don't know, what do you set on, what do you do after you set Christmas trees on fire? Santa. Oh, you, um, 
you melt yes. Santa and his reindeer. Uh, it, it never stops, Matt. This war on Christmas, war against Christmas, this is, uh, it's never ending. One day we shall, we shall be victorious. But not this day. But today. This day, <laughs> roast marshmallows around the burning this Fox day. Christmas tree. Well, Matt, uh, it has yeah. been at least a week since our last podcast. Uh, so long I can't even remember what our last podcast was. Some sort of it Halloween was, thing. It was, uh, yes. It was an interview with Cara Santa Maria. Cara Santa Maria. This is Cara Santa Maria Part 2. Should we go directly into it? Uh, let's stop for some dicks on the way first. Is that, is that, is that a thing? You, you want to sully the Part 2 of the Cara Santa Maria interview with skunk dicks? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking it's more of an enhancement. We're enhancing the interview. No, no shortage of skunk dicks, Matt. For example, the leftist lunatic who set that Christmas tree on fire. Yes. <laughs> oh, wait. What? Is he a skunk dick? He's not a skunk we support dick. That. He's a yeah. goddamn hero. He's a hero. A skunk <laughs> hero. A skunk penis, shall we say. You got some dicks? Um, Chuck, yeah. Possibly, I mean, if you believe the fake news media... Over 700,000 people have died of COVID. But did you know that last year alone, over 600,000 died from cancer? Cancer! Not I one did. school shut down. Not one. I did know that. Well, that's because you don't follow Marjorie Taylor Greene on Twitter. If you did, you would know that she tweeted, One, every single year, more than 600,000 people die in the U.S. from cancer. The country has never once shut down. Not a single school has closed. And every year, over 600,000 people of all ages and all races continue to die from cancer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Matt, what gets me most about this is the enthusiasm with which she is tweeting. It's yeah. like, hey, guys, stop. Hey, 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 hey. Hey, hey, I found something. Guys, listen. Look at all these people that have died from cancer. This is amazing. It it never once occurs to this this uh, uh, idiot here, uh, and I feel confident that I will not get a suit for defamation of character for two reasons, Matt. Number one, truth is an absolute defense, and yep. number two, about three people listen to our podcast. All right, <laughs> I pretty much say whatever the fuck I want on this thing, right? What are those three people are Marjorie Taylor Greene, <laughs> Herbert, and Matt Gates. Well, Matt Gates is going to be in prison soon, uh, so we're probably and Joel Austin. We're probably okay. <laughs> it never occurs to this moron here that uh, cancer is not uh, spread via airborne particles. Right. <laughs> There's. It's not a contagious disease. It's not a, or is it infectious? It's neither. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It's neither contagious nor infectious. Except for one. There's like one, right? HPV. Well, HPV. Yes, you can get HPV sexually transmitted. But you actually, actually it's not, you have to like have the sex, I think, it, right? It's not airborne. <laughs> yeah. so, so it only, you know, the, the lockdown... <laughs> Lockdowns only really help when you when this stuff is spread via airborne particles, droplets, aerosols, that sort of thing. 
But, uh, Marta, it just, it kills me reading this because she's so yeah. like, I've, I've, look at, I've, look at that's leftist hypocrisy that I've exposed. Right. Oh my God, guys, cancer. Cancer! <laughs> Never shut down over cancer. It's, it's so stupid because I've been listening to a version of this since 2020 where it was like, when, 20,000 people died. They're like, more people die from car accidents. And then, like, 100,000 people died. It's like, more people die from sepsis or hospital surgery errors. And then a half million people died. And now we're into the heart disease zone. And then now we're into the cancer zone. You're still so, hearing <laughs> that it's overhyped, right? Oh, yeah, this is overhyped. You guys, I mean, you guys are making too much out of it. Uh, nearly eight hundred thousand Americans. I mean, uh, we're at the level, I believe, of the pandemic uh, of nineteen eighteen. Of course, our population's yeah. bigger, but I think we we lost between six hundred thousand and a million Americans in the nineteen eighteen epidemic uh, pandemic. This is such a weird thing to suggest because more people have died of another thing. Then we, we don't need to do anything about this ignore thing. Ignore <laughs> this one. Yeah. Yeah. The best part about this whole tweet is the combined like enthusiasm and certainty, uh, with the combined with simultaneous absolute fucking ignorance. No fuck. She doesn't even know. No clue. It's said with such confidence. Right. No clue. Uh, what is staring you straight in the face that every other fucking person on the planet can see. It's and these people are determining the future of our country. What's um, what was really funny is that she didn't stop there. Three, uh, you're gonna love the uh, you're gonna just I'll just read it. It's time to take a different approach based on the facts. <laughs> Here come the facts, Chuck. Lay lay the facts on me. Targets, targets obese and older people. Shutdowns, masking, and vaccines are not stopping COVID. That's just governmental. Or government control. Here's the here's the here come the facts. Ivermectin, ivermectin, uh, monoclonal antibodies, and other treatments are saving lives. Facts. Uh, you know, uh, monoclonal antibodies. Yeah, ivermectin. You're you're fucking just killing me. No, you're just fucking please. killing me. I'm surprised. I don't know what I think. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think they, they, uh, someone in the uh, conservative movement has a whole bunch of money in monoclonal antibodies because it, because it seems way too sciencey for these guys to be, uh, promoting. Right. Right. So someone must be making money on this shit. Um, but ivermectin, Jesus H. Christ, I can't, I can't even talk about it anymore. I can't. It's just fucking, I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. Uh, number four. <laughs> she keeps going. Oh, there's more. Oh, yeah. To care about others and save lives. Our response to COVID-19 should be working towards ending obesity. Promote COVID treatments that are proven to work. Like and ivermectin, stop the you fucking idiot. Matt, I can't. I can't. I can't. Is there, a, is there an equivalent in the pilot world to this shit where you're just faced with uh, misinformation on a daily basis and you've lost your patience in explaining <laughs> this shit there. You know what? There isn't. That's, that's, that's 
that's one of the things I like about my job is that like it's uh, the whole history of aviation is learning from past mistakes and moving forward. No one ever goes back and and is like like we should go back do this thing that that ended up in like hundreds of people dying in a fiery crash and and it's like no we we understand like like wind shear wind shear is not dangerous only if you're only if your aircraft <laughs> is obese or something like that. It's like it's like no. Like nobody in my profession would ever uh would ever say that. Wind As, shear? Why don't you just take an antifungal medication for wind shear? <laughs> wind shear. Yeah. Well use stability control. It's found in automobiles. Should work on planes. Yeah. Right. Uh all right, let's move yeah, on nope. to something that has nothing to do with COVID. Uh, okay. The next skunk tech candidate, Tennessee Medical Board caves to GOP, or is that GOP? Is that GOP pressure? It's the GOP. Caves to GOP pressure. Deletes warning against doctors spreading COVID misinformation. Matt, there was the, the Tennessee Board of Medical Examiners. This is the um, group of, of people who decide uh, on medical discipline, right? Um, uh for people who Wait, are, just uh, for Tennessee, though. Just for Tennessee. Uh, so in the state of Tennessee, uh, if you commit, like, egregious malpractice, if, if you commit ethical uh, uh, failures, uh, you are brought uh, aboard in front of the Board of Medical Examiners. On their website, they had a, a line about if you, as a medical professional, uh, spread, disseminate, disinformation regarding COVID, you are subject to discipline. Seems uncontroversial, right? Stop right. telling lies. Just stick to the facts. This line outraged Republican, state Republican lawmaker John Reagan. He uh, sent John letters Reagan. to the no board <laughs> Demanding that the policy be promptly deleted. Or what, Reagan? What are you going to do? An attorney who works with the board explained to the man in a letter writing, Reagan also made clear he has no qualms above moving forward with dissolving the board of medical examiners and reconstituting it with new members. He has, in fact, done this with another state agency, so it is not a hollow threat. So, oh, my God. That's straight out of the Republican playbook. They don't like what you get <laughs> from this group just get rid of them fill them with toadies right so right exactly fuck the experts uh get rid of them fill them with people who just say yes to you and problem solve this is this is also right of the republican playbook right they're not interested in actually solving any fucking problems they just want to rule they're not interested in governing they just want to rule so the tennessee board of medical examiners actually did remove the policy from its website. Uh, Let's see. It stated in part, quote, physicians who generate and spread COVID-19 vaccine misinformation or disinformation are risking disciplinary action by state medical board, including the suspension or revocation of their medical license. So that is now removed from the uh, board of medical examiners website uh, from the prompting of a Republican uh, state policy. I just fucking, what world do we live in, Matt? What world do we live in? So, Matt, in the past, in July, the state fired its top vaccination official, Dr. Michelle Fiscus, for writing a letter to medical providers uh, administering vaccines explaining 
a decades-old state legal mechanism, the mature minor doctrine, that allows providers to vaccinate minors older than 14 without parental consent, right? Because they're mature minors, they can make their own decisions. Right. This made her a target for conservative lawmakers who demanded her dismissal, uh, including Reagan, who threatened to dissolve the state health department in retaliation. <laughs> Their answer is always to do what I say or I will burn everything down yes. to the fucking ground. <laughs> yes. So basically, basically they want to dismantle the State Department of Health for sharing Tennessee law, right? And they want to uh, destroy the entire board of medical examiners uh, for saying, having the temerity to say, hey, don't spread lies. So apparently Republicans are pro-COVID misinformation. They just essentially want right. people to contract COVID, get sick, die. Uh, I, 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 I don't get it. Isn't this uh, <laughs> government, isn't this government overreach? Of- <laughs> isn't this... Uh, what Republicans don't... I don't even know what Republicans stand for anymore, Matt. I they don't they, stand for anything. They I only thought, stand against things. I thought they wanted limited government. No. Not government over Limited for you, Chuck. <laughs> not for them. They just want to limit <laughs> liberal government. You're they right. They don't stand for just, anything. It's all just against shit. It's good it's no taxes for the rich. No abortions. Or anything, nothing for the no, poor. No abortions for the poor, yeah. If you're no. rich, you can still have an abortion. No food stamps. And if you do get any of those things as a poor person, you should be subject to, you know, random drug testing yes. or mandatory drug testing. Right, unless uh, you're ridiculously wealthy or a corporation. And then they'll give right. you all the welfare you fucking want. Right. Uh, here, have a couple hundred dollars in food stamps, but you're going to have to... Uh, Submit to all these testing. Here, take millions in in tax breaks. Yes, and yeah, yes. Uh, who cares? Okay, yeah, so that's that's number two. Studying skunk candidate number two. I guess that'd be the entire Republican Party, but uh, in specifically the the Republicans in Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hate. What it else seems like we're bashing on Republicans and conservatives here. But that's only because we are. Because uh, number three, man, I feel is, like reality itself bashes on Republicans and conservatives. <laughs> it's not; it's just us by extension. Yeah, I don't pick them. They they just come to me. Boise State University in Idaho. Could you imagine anything bad coming out of there? I can't. Well, that seems like a bastion of liberal policies. <laughs> Beautiful state, by the way. Nice people. Boys is a nice place to live. Can't afford a house there. But, uh, yeah, political science professor Scott Yenner uh, gave a little speech at the National Conservative or Conservatism Conference in Orlando, Florida. Just in case you were a woman that wanted to get into, I don't know, say engineering, don't bother, according to Scott Tenner. Every effort, quote, must be made to not recruit women into engineering, but rather to recruit and demand more of men who become engineers. Also, ditto for med school and the law and every trade. Uh, I like how he just just covered the whole thing from then on. Also for this and this and everything. Oh, and also everything else. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, what's the logic of that? Why I'm interested. Uh, What's his reasoning? 
because it seems like that's, uh, you know, just a quick back of the envelope calculation. 50% of the fucking population. Right. Well, he says it's just a waste to try to make special efforts to recruit women into fields where they don't seem to want to be. Oh, hey, they- Scott, maybe they don't want to be there <laughs> because nobody's encouraging them and everybody in it is kind of a dick. Hey, they just don't want to be where you are. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, not the fields themselves. It's the assholes inside of them. Right. <laughs> We're also accepting a premise. What uh, uh, On what information do you have that says that women don't want to go into law or medicine yep. or engineering? I mean, even accepting that premise, I think you're an absolute asshole. But, no, I, I think his proof is that just because you have to encourage them means they don't want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the fact that he, he's angry about encouraging. <laughs> Right? It's like the most benign thing you can possibly. Hey, why are we encouraging people to do this? Hey, let's get you in. The... No, can't do that anymore. Does he want him to encourage? Just let me guess. To be housewives and mothers and crank out fucking kids, because in I believe conservative circles, uh, that is the only function of a woman is to yeah. crank out yeah. children. And raise I mean, them he, because the fathers, heaven forbid, the fathers engage in any child rearing. That would emasculate them. Yeah. Can you imagine um, being a a student in this guy's class and now you know <laughs> that you have a professor that doesn't believe because of who you are that you should be there or some guy should be in your place. Because of your chromosomal makeup. Yeah, you should not be in engineering, medicine, law, or any other fucking career in the entire or, world. I love he's like he's like engineering, medical school, law, or any other trade. Yeah, anything, anything. Women welders. What has the world come to? Why? Why does he believe that women don't seem to want to be? I believe. I believe that there's a huge trend in medicine where women are outnumbering men uh, uh, for the first time. I think uh, as physicians. Why? Why does that mean they don't want to be there? What? What? What data is he basing this on? And I, I'm glad. I'm glad to see in my position, my profession. That is, uh, we're getting more and more women. Um, and just even a lot more, even just when I started about 15, 16 years ago. Women it's can't great. fly planes. Are you insane? Ch- they can't even drive cars. They should be uh, banned from both flying planes and driving motor vehicles of any kind. Yeah. I love to see this guy when he gets on an airplane where the captain, the first officer, all the fun, every single one is a woman. What does he do? Does he get off the plane? I can't fly in this plane. Who encouraged you into this profession? Let's oh, have a talk with them. Such a fucking uh, just entrenched. I love the fact that he, you know, as a male, he feels totally comfortable speaking for the other half of the population. Yep. <laughs> Look, you don't want to be here. Listen, so we're not going to ask you to. With my deep and uh, abiding experience as a woman... Women just don't want to go into medicine, okay? They don't want to go into law. They don't want to go into engineering. I've been a woman for uh, none of my 50 years of my existence, but I feel God. very comfortable speaking His for mother, every woman everywhere. 
is a woman. His wife is a woman. <laughs> I was he born of a woman. A I was somewhere. raised by a woman. I was raised by women. Yep. 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 Oh, yep. My. Amazing. So did you I say that I'm... this uh, these were remarks made at a conference? Oh, yes. Yeah. The National, National Conservatism, Conservatism Conference. The which, family by the way, that we must attend need. this next year. Oh my God! Yeah, we should we should start asking for money so that we can get flown out there. Oh, oh! His talk was called "The Family Form That Nations Need." Yes, Idaho State Representative Brooke Green uh, said that Yenner's beliefs are not only outdated but completely sexist and reflect a society that no longer exists. Yeah, that's exactly what a woman would say. Oh my God, Chuck! You got listen to these talks. We could have joined. Uh, what happens if China leads the fourth industrial revolution? Um, <laughs> the newly established church comes from your family. The cancel culture and conservative books. Oh, oh I, I want, I want to go to that I one. I can't. You're going to have to go on your own, Matt. America's hidden class divide and our terrible media. I mean, I think I actually would want to go to that talk, Matt, but Matt. I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be what I think. <laughs> Matt, uh, for my own blood pressure and continued health, I cannot attend that conference. Oh, Chuck! I just scrolled down. Senator Josh Hawley gives the keynote address on uh, which day? Sunday? At, uh, oh, there's two. How can there be two keynote addresses? Anyway, uh, the future of the American man. Yeah. Oh, there you boy. go. There you go. Oh my God. I'm nauseated oh, just thinking about it. Jesus Christ. Marco Rubio did a talk. Ted Cruz did a talk. <laughs> oh, we missed some good shit. This is already over. Damn it. Well, yeah, it was Halloween. Ayan Hersi What happened to her? The menace of wokeism. I don't know. Well, uh, what's your vote, Matt? There's three pretty good candidates. I'm going with the professor... Uh, because uh, it's the only one I can remember. I don't remember any of the other ones. The professor's a good one, but Marjorie Taylor Greene has oh, yeah. the serial killer three-name thing. Yeah. Um, wait a second. Cara Santa Maria. Marjorie mm. Taylor. Wait a second. Mm. Must be coincidence. And then, uh, yeah, who else? <laughs> That's all I can remember. There's something else in there, but I can't remember. Uh, it. There's a Tennessee uh, Medicine Board, but that was pretty oh, sciencey, was, so I'm su- I'm not surprised. Yes, yeah, I'll have to go with the professor too, because I mean Marjorie Taylor Greene and the Tennessee Science Board, all based on science and facts. Yes, yes. this is more like gut and opinion and masculinity and uh, the true place of a woman. Yes, pretty sure if I had. Uh, Ted Cruz's speech. I probably would have chose him, but <laughs> let's go with this other dude. <laughs> I'll switch my vote to Ted Cruz. Just <laughs> Ted Cruz's voice is my uh, skunk dick of the week. <laughs> Put it into the machine. Oh, Matt. Matt. What? Matt. What? None of those is candidates won. Not a single candidate we entered into the machine won. What? Instead, Are you telling me that this is voter fraud? <laughs> I want an investigation. I'm going to start suppressing Matt's vote next episode. 
I'm going to suppress your right to vote. That's right. Uh, based on the outcome of this skunk dick candidacy. Matt, the, the winner of this week's skunk dick. Can we even call it this week since this is the only podcast? The winner of this year's skunk dick award. Two thousand. Hey, hold on. Releasing a podcast every year since 2009. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been. Well, what happened to that tagline? Oh, yeah. We're getting uh, in just under the wire. Christmas. At least one podcast a year for the past 12 straight years, with no exceptions. That's right. That's a kind of dedication. Chuck, I'm holding on to my seat, just waiting to hear about what my voter fraud has wrought. The 2021 Skunk Dick of the Year is the conservatives' ability to reject reality in favor of propaganda. Matt, I believe (laughs) uh, Steve Colbert coined the term truthiness. Uh, years ago, yeah. and it has just exploded. You, your your ability to look reality in the eye and say, fuck you, I believe whatever the fuck I want to believe, despite all rationality, all objective reasons, all facts, I'm ignoring all of this shit in favor of whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, we got truthiness. And then we got, what was it, Alternative Facts? Was that it? Alternative Facts. I cannot believe. I can't believe that actually escaped the lips of someone serious. That she said, Kellyanne Conway said that with a uh, deadpan face, completely seriously. We have Alternative Facts. And that was based on something so fucking unimportant as how many people attended the fucking inauguration. Right. (laughs) We went from that to... Sharpie Gate. <laughs> oh. So many stupid things. Sharpie Gate was wonderful because it was so unnecessarily stupid. Right. right? Trump said something. Uh, everyone else said, uh, Trump, no, that's not correct. And he comes out and says, look, the National Weather Service actually did say that the path of the hurricane, as you can see clearly by this uh, map, uh, Trump, you've drawn a uh, with a Sharpie. On that fucking map, extending <laughs> the path yourself, <clears throat> as you can clearly see. It, it's uh, uh, just, uh, you know, stupefied. Matt, I am stupefied at this ability of people to just reject actual reality and substitute it for themselves. Yeah, as evidence, I, you know, I you know that it the, was hilarious at the time. <laughs> you <but> can, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's not going good. This is like one of those how it started, how it's going things. That, uh, more than anything else, is going to put our country in danger. Fundamental. Yeah, we're in, a, we're, in a big, we're in trouble when we can't agree on the basic nature of reality. Yeah. Or, a, or just or basic facts or, or truths. Yes. If we can't agree on, like, this one thing, like, like I sorry to bring it up, ivermectin. <laughs> that, you know. There was some promise, but no, it doesn't work. Hydrochloroquine doesn't work. They still carry I think they're currently doing studies on ivermectin. But what you have to prove is that it is both safe and effective. If either of those don't work out based on large-scale human trials, if if it's not safe, you can't use it. If it's not effective, you shouldn't use it. 
So we have to determine, not based on small, poorly controlled studies, but based on large-scale human trials, whether ivermectin is safe or effective. I can't imagine a mechanism where it would be a, a, a dewormer. I mean, Matt, I've, I've prescribed ivermectin, I think, once in my career, right? It's for permethrin-resistant scabies. I can't imagine a mechanism uh, by which it would affect a virus. But I've been surprised before. You just need the studies, Right. That these yeah. idiot uh, people getting ahead of the data and the certainty with which there are there people protesting outside ICUs to be able to supply ivermectin to these people. Stop it! Right, <laughs> you need to first well, determine well, on the other hand, safe and effective first at vaccine centers. Stopping trying to stop people from getting vaccinated, yeah. for which yeah. we have a ton of data for yeah. already. Yeah, stop saying you're pro-life, Republican Party. You are fucking pro-death. Uh, the recent, most recent article I read uh, is that counties who voted for Trump in 2020 are six times more likely to die of COVID than counties that voted for Biden. And the most, the single most accurate predictor of your vaccination status is your political affiliation. Fucking right. ridiculous. Fucking ridiculous. Chuck, if you look at some of the margins, by which the Democrats lost in the last two elections. I'm sorry, the the, the previous election, they won this last one. No, uh, Trump won. What am I saying? Of course he won. It was right from <laughs> See, it's even infecting me. Um, but the margin of victory and the margin of loss, it was, it was small. It's like this place, it was like thousands of votes. And you get, now we've got Republicans enacting laws across different states to uh, to suppress voting to put the hands of the counts or whoever certifies the votes into, into, you know, Republican hands so they can toss it out. It's just a, just a total disregard for reality. It's, yeah, you uh, don't, you don't believe in the democracy. Our only chance is enough <laughs> Republicans die from COVID and yeah. before the next election. Well, and you'd think out of self-preservation, they would say, Hey guys, get vaccinated, right? They're dying in droves. Far more Republicans are dying than Democrats for your own self-preservation, but they have other mechanisms. And that's what you're talking about. Voter suppression, yeah. gerrymandering, uh, to get their hands on the, the levers of power. Um, and, and a couple of states, I believe, have already produced measures to say, Hey, look, uh, we're going to bring this count then to the, the people who are in power, who are Republicans, and we'll determine whether or not we will say, uh, well, I know that you guys voted for Biden, but we feel like it, Trump should be victorious. So we're going to go yeah. ahead and just certify for Trump. It's it, the fundamentals of democracy are in peril. Yeah. Based on rejection uh, of reality in favor of likely political propaganda. And yeah, that's where we're I at, man. Yeah. What? Huh? That's where we're at. Uh, in the one year since uh, we last talked to Kara Santa Maria, I believe we're about to talk about Namibia or something. Yeah, here you go. Enjoy this conversation about a bunch of rambling topics that came up. But it's always nice to talk to her. Um, I see this oh, well, in my yeah. industry all the time because if a woman gets hired by a major airline, the first – as a pilot, we're talking about pilots here because I'm a pilot. Mm -hmm. The first thing I hear from a lot of people is, is, is uh, well, and I, I don't want to say this, but this is what people say, is, well, she has a set of breasts. And you're like, 
what? Like, no. Like, what does that have to do with flying a plane? <laughs> it's like she's a qualified pilot, and and they hired her because she's a pilot first. God, it's, I hope nobody's hiring my, you know, commercial pilots because oh, exactly. of their boobs. No, no. They're all qualified. Now, is Delta trying to be more diverse? I'm, I'm, I'm picking on Delta specifically because that's one of the airlines that people, um, as, when you're, when you, uh, when you become a pilot, if you want to work for an airline and stay in the states, it's a, it's a good job. Um, if they want to have a more diverse pilot group, um, that's that's their prerogative. I support that. I think it's a great idea. But man, there's a lot of white guys that get triggered very easily. Of course there are. I mean, this is like basically when there was the Supreme Court ruling that like that kind of uh, weakened or um Oh, God, I, I can't find words today, you guys. This is rough. But that weekend or what's a better That's term for this? Day. Yeah, <laughs> the, the ruling that basically uh, repealed part of the Voting Rights Act and RBG's dissenting opinion was straight up like, guys, this is like walking out in a rainstorm with an umbrella and then throwing your umbrella away right. because you're not wet. Like these these things this work is, and then they think they don't need them. It's like exactly it's like the working. reason we've made progress is because these things are in place and we are nowhere near parity. Nobody would say that we're anywhere near parity. And and honestly, another great RBG ism when she said, you know, how many women are the right amount of women on the Supreme Court? She said nine. I want the whole right. thing to be full of women. And people were like, what the fuck? You're a psycho Nazi feminist. And she was like, no. Up until, you know, whatever year it was that Sandra Day O'Connor was added to the court, it was just dudes. So how many hundreds right. of years did we have where it was all men? And parody would be to have that many hundreds of years where it was all women. I mean, ultimately, that is parody. I'm not saying that's what we all expect or need or want. But getting to 50% for like a year is not saying we've achieved equality. That's insanity. It's, it's like I always say... You know, when I'm in a relationship, which I'm, I'm not right now, but when I'm in a, a you know, um, a committed relationship and a, and we get in a fight and like, let's say uh, my significant other is says something really cruel and then later they apologize and we're back to like neutral. I always say, uh, uh-uh, like you don't you don't go from way down there on the graph. So imagine we're like neutral and we're following along the the x-axis of a graph and then we dip low on the y-axis you have to you have to dip equally and oppositely as high before you get back to neutral (laughs) so it's like if you did something horrible you have to now do something great to make up for it you can't just be normal again and think everything's okay like that's not parody and so you just gave me a great idea i need to graph relationships (laughs) (laughs) i cannot think I think I, I might not do think better. In graphical representation. It's all those stats classes. I'm going to keep a chart from now on. Look, a very smart person told me to do this. <laughs> those, those guys, Matt, your, your fellow pilots that you're hearing this from are probably the same people who will tell you that male privilege does not exist. But it is their privilege oh. to say, to get irritated. They're feeling that privilege being taken away from them as more and more women join the ranks of pilots that's their privilege this is their this is what scares me is um i i thought 2016 would be the last gasp of of these white male racist sexist and i thought they'd be powerless 
turns out that's absolutely not true. No, I think um, we always have to remember that they will always be waiting in the wings. And it's just a function yeah. of how much power we're willing to secede, uh, to, to cede to them. It's, you know, I have a good friend who's um, a Jewish atheist, very, you know, very traditionally Jewish, Jewish just happens to not believe in God. And he was talking about the Holocaust recently, and he was like, I'm just constantly reminded that even though, you know, for the most part, a lot of Jewish people in America are no longer an underclass, right? Like, there are certain aspects of our class that is a privileged class. You know, I'm a white man in America who's well-educated and and who's financially stable and blah, blah, blah. But he was like, it's always right under the radar. I can see how easy it would be to be subject to all the same shit. And it would just come right back with if the wrong people get in power. You know, it's just waiting in the wings. And that's something that he like he lives in that kind of fear. And I think that it's even if we get to a place in our progressive policies where women or or ethnic minorities are starting to feel a little more comfortable and are starting to feel like, okay, we're getting close to parity or we're getting close to equality. I think that we always have to stay vigilant and know that there are people who remember a time that they see as the good old days and desperately want that back. And they also see it as a zero sum game that if a, you know, a young black woman is able to find herself in a position of power, whether it be financial or from a decision-making perspective, that means that I somehow have less money and less power. And that's dangerous, but I think that's always going to be waiting in the wings. So we do have to remain vigilant. Oh yeah. When you had the Tiki torch guys, Marching and chanting. Yeah. I was just like, where did this come? We still have this? Like, yeah. Wait, was that Charleston or Charlottesville? Oh, Charlottesville. Charlottesville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mix those up sometimes. Um, and I would no. say to you, actually, that um, with regards to those pilots who are saying those things overtly, that is actually a, a blatant violation of probably not just the company's HR rules, but also it's probably against the law the things that they're saying and making an anonymous complaint may actually get those kind of uber sexist pilots out of their jobs and allow for more room for people who are not going to be creating such a hostile workplace because that's insidious when you say things passively to people, especially if you know that the person that you're talking to is liberal or even that you don't know what their politics are, that's even worse. Like this is just a random colleague of mine and I know nothing about how he views the world, but I'm going to say something like this thinking that it's acceptable. That's insidious and it's going to make its way down to the passengers. It's going to affect, you know, customer service. It's going to, it's going to cause really negative downstream outcomes. And so I think getting those people out of their jobs and, and promoting a healthier work environment is is kind of incumbent on everybody around them. Yeah, well, I mean, to my shame, uh, ye- and this is years ago, I used mm-hmm. to let uh, comments like that slide as in just like, oh, oh, boy. But uh, coincidentally, uh, four years ago, I, I kind of made a promise to myself to not let things like that go anymore. And I I challenge everybody and fortunately it doesn't happen that often but Mm. um i challenge everybody i do not let that shit slide and oh my god um at times it's it's exhausting like and i don't mean that as in uh i'm complaining about it as as, for myself 
But I'm just like, Jesus Christ, like this many people still think this Mm -hmm. way. And that's because so many people like you were four years ago, passively allowed it to happen. And that's where the phrase is silence is violence come from. Right. Like if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. problem. And one of the most I think one of the most beautiful examples of that, and I've I've mentioned it on other shows before, is there's a book by Beverly Tatum, who is a psychologist um, focusing on race relations. And she she's got this beautiful book called Why Do All the Black Kids Sit Together in the Cafeteria? And she there's a little vignette in the book where she talks about, you know, active anti-racism versus passive um, kind of consumption and privilege. And she says she likes to envision the moving sidewalk at the airwalk at, at the airport. So like this is this is right up your alley, right? <laughs> so, you know, the moving sidewalk goes uh-huh. in one direction and it speeds up your journey. And she says, I like to think of the active racists as the people who are on the sidewalk and running. So they're not just they're like actively moving in a specific direction. And if you're passive, even if you're standing still, that sidewalk is going to keep you going in the direction of poor race relations. So unless right. you turn around and walk opposite the sidewalk and walk fast enough that you're making progress, you yourself are not anti-racist. It takes that much work to try and support and ally with individuals who are abused and oppressed and disenfranchised by our system. And if we're not actively doing that, we are part of the problem. We are their oppressors. And I can't live with myself if I am actively oppressing the people that I care about and love in my country. So like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta speak up. It's the only thing you can do. And luckily most large corporations have a very, um, specific protocol for that and you will be protected and there are ways to do this oh, anonymously yeah. or there are ways to do it in a way that they will never know it was you we have this thing where um they want to pilots to work it out between themselves first with a representative from our pilots association before of it goes course to the company. but that's it's if you not... have an interpersonal problem if somebody right, is right. is making basically harassing comments, threats, threats of violence, and, I, you know, things that contribute to um, a toxic work environment, I think that there's probably an anonymous tip line that you can make a complaint about them. And if enough people complain, they're going to be like, this guy can't be up here. He's poisoning this flight. Right. Well, I personally lost about (laughs) three friends in just the last month alone. Yeah, one because, of those is me, by the way. Yeah, one of Chuck. <laughs> yeah. God, Chuck, with all his... Why are you still hanging out with this guy? <laughs> we no. maintain our business relationship and yeah, everything else. Hey, I want to talk about Namibia. <laughs> oh, we can talk about Namibia. What do you want to know? What do you want to talk about? Oh, I feel terrible, though, because there's a lot of important shit going on right now. <laughs> yeah, that's Everybody, I think we, it, it just seems like such a fascinating conversation, but good God, I love Namibia. And now you've been there twice. Yeah. Um, and I was trying to explain to someone, they're like, what's so great about it? And I'm like, Ugh! like, like you just have not, to go. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> let me know if this is what you feel, but um, two of my favorite places on earth that I've traveled to is, is, uh, is Namibia and Iceland. And I think I was trying to, figure out why i like them so much mm-hmm. and there is something about both those places um i don't know that 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 speaks to me deeply that digs in your soul i don't know if it's primal i don't know if it's 
if it's because the, both those places kind of have um, a commitment to their environment, mm-hmm. which I find mm-hmm. very attractive um, or what, but what is, I know you've been in Namibia twice and you love Yeah, I've place. not been to Iceland yet. I know I want to go. I, I I have friends who love Iceland and friends who hate Iceland, um, mostly because it's really expensive. And I think for some of them that it, there's a financial barrier to being able to visit more often. Yeah. Um, I think for... For Namibia, it's really hard to put my finger on it, like you said. And, uh, you know, you cannot paint Africa with a broad brush, although Americans love to do that. Um, Being in kind of, yeah, being in southwestern Africa, it has these landscapes that are really varied. So you've got these stunning sand dunes against the ocean, which is amazing. And then also you have these, you know, really stunning national parks where there's just so much gorgeous wildlife and you really can enjoy that kind of classic African sunset experience. But you add to that, there's, I think, a warmth and a beauty in the people. There are still large indigenous groups who have worked desperately to maintain some amount of, uh, like, I don't know if you want to call it sovereignty or self-efficacy, but there are indigenous groups who have work really hard to maintain their traditional practices. Obviously they're struggling like every other indigenous group across the globe with things like globalization and, and, you know, capitalism and commercial interests kind of working their way into their lifestyles. Um, And then just in terms of the people who are actively engaged in like civics and politics and things of that nature, the people in Namibia were subject to a horrific genocide, you know, that they were not um, ignored by colonial interests. So when Germany basically took control of Namibia, they did the Holocaust 1.0 in Namibia. It was a training ground for them and many people died, many people suffered. And yet they, push back, they fought back. Later, they pushed back against South African interests, and they were able to gain their independence. They were able to get rid of apartheid so much earlier than they did in South Africa. And it's a thriving, yeah, they, you know, beautiful economic and um, democratic society. And the people are just so warm and so kind. And I don't know. There's just so much about that country that I love from the people to the landscapes, to the, to the wildlife and back again. Yeah, I'm always thinking about going back there. Mm-hmm. They, they really made that transition from, you know, post-colonialism to where they are now much right. better than South Africa. I mean, that's the thing. There are probably some, you know, obviously like it wasn't easy. I don't want to say it was easy for them. No, and yeah. obviously it's not perfect. Um, But that said, I think that their history is unique, just like the history of every country. Um, But there is something about Namibia that feels, I think for me, that the one thing that I can say is like, it feels like home. I could see myself living there where I can't say that about most places in the world. There are a lot of places I visit and I'm like, oh, I love it here, but I'm ready to go home. When I'm in Namibia, I just want to stay longer. And I don't always have that feeling when I travel. Yeah, I get that. Like, this has been fun, but you know, I can't be nice to be home again. But yeah, we but were the same. We like, were like, no, 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 no. I just, just one more day, one more week, one <laughs> yeah, more month. We have to you know? leave. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I heard your comments about uh, you went to a, a conservation. Not was it a convention? I don't know what you would call it. Oh, um, right. It so 
Yeah, so I went to Vintook to speak at the CIC conference. And then I also visited the, let's see if I can do this right, because she taught me how to say it. Horse, Hori. Yeah, I think that's how you say it. Um, uh, very good. I thank you. It was a bit, it's a bit hard to learn, which is a, um, a, cons- uh, what's it called? It's like a conservancy. So it's a large swath of land that, okay. although owned by, the government is in the control of the people that live there. And so they have, you know, whether they're like a chicken farmer or whether they have a small school or whether they are indigenous and still trying to maintain some amount of like a hunter gatherer lifestyle, um, they live on this land and then they work with the government to report human animal conflict in order to contribute to conservation efforts and also to create a safe space for themselves and for their families. So if an elephant is continuously trampling their water supply, they'll actually give these reports to the government so that then the government can come in and maybe remove a nuisance animal or pay them for giving these reports so that they can, you know, are incentivized to continue to work with the government to ensure that conservation efforts and land management are carried on. But yeah, I did go to a hunting convention. It was interesting. You know, I myself don't hunt. Um, I do come from yeah. a hunting family in Texas, but I had a lot of pre- preconceived notions about what trophy hunting and big game hunting in Africa was. I thought it was all, you know, rich white assholes who go there yeah. and break a bunch of rules. And I, I equated it with poaching. And I really did not understand how fundamental to the economy and actually how fundamental to anti-poaching efforts big game hunting is when it's done appropriately. And and I learned a lot. I learned that certain animals are nuisance animals or there are old animals and they are specifically tagged for hunting. You're not just going out and shooting wildly. You're paying an arm and a leg, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, depending on the type, you know, the species of animal to go out and, and kill a specific animal. You're working with a professional hunter who is usually a local professional hunter. And um, you are taking your trophies if it's legal to do so and take them back to your country. Um, But oftentimes the meat, if it's not, you know, antelope, most people want to eat antelope. um, But like, let's say you hunt an elephant, which is the thing that gives most people pause. Oftentimes the meat is actually given to the local community members to eat because a Westerner might not want to eat elephant, but a local community member, you know, it's a lot of meat. So they'll, they might be like, Yes, please. Um, And then, you know, let's say one elephant tag or two elephant tags for the year might pay for an anti-poaching patrol for the entire year. Right. And that's very expensive. And people love to say that's fucked up. White people are monsters. Why don't we just give them the money? And it's like, yeah, that's a great idea just give them the money. Like, are you giving them the money? Right. <laughs> Where are you going to get that money? Like, come on people. This is the best that these groups have been able to come up with. And when done right, it works when done poorly. It doesn't work. Canned hunting. I'm super against, right. Um, kind of- hunting species, that are where their populations are are not stable. I, I'm not okay with that, right? But one thing people don't understand too about endangered species and critically endangered species and even threatened species is that they're not always the same in different locations. So yes, when it comes to rhinos, people don't hunt rhinos. Like you just don't do it. But when it comes to elephants, for example, you might have an overabundance of elephants in Botswana because of their hunting ban that they just recently had to lift because the elephants are destroying the landscape. So now they're like, okay, we need to do herd management. 
would I rather just kill an elephant because we have too many and they're destroying the landscape? Or would I let somebody pay for a tag to then kill an elephant so that at least as a management institution, we can financially benefit from that and it can go towards, you know, these programs. Um, I think people literally think that Africa is just unmanaged and wild. They don't understand that there's still fences everywhere, that there are animal counts that we know pretty much exactly how many of each animal exists in different regions and that they're actively managed. The entire world is actively managed. Human beings have destroyed the landscape and changed it in such a dramatic fashion that it's not like we built into the wilderness. I mean, we did originally, but now the wilderness is a fenced in area that we protect Right. That's just how it is now. It's horrible, but that's where we've gotten. And so we have to manage those things in an intelligent way. And we have to make sure that the numbers are consistent with what the the carrying capacity of the land. I think that's one of the things I loved about Namibia is it still seemed like a place that had um, massive open spaces. Yeah, it feels very wild. But a lot of that is literally because they have really good land management. Oh, that's it's amazing how much of the rich assholes money actually goes into making these areas of, of conservation. Oh yeah. These people who would never, ever like Donald Trump jr. Goes over there, uh, never ever donate to uh, protecting animals and and supporting them and caring for them, uh, letting them just live their goddamn lives. Right. How much of that money actually goes. If it were America, 90 plus percent of that would go into these guys' pockets, right? Of course. Yeah. But, but in, in these regions, that hunting tag is governmentally approved and enforced. And so we know where the money's going. You know, there's obviously a percentage that goes towards the, um, the people who are working these hunts and things like that. But, but obviously a huge percentage goes into conservation efforts because legally it's, Uh, like it is legislated to do so. But that's also why you have to do your research, right? Because there are a lot of outfits and in other countries that aren't as ethical. And like, you know, in South Africa, for example, there have been exposures of canned hunting multiple times over. And I have a really hard time with breeding animals just to kill them, you know, setting them free in a very small area and basically you know, producing targets just so that people can go hunt. Like that's not okay. Oh, is that what that's what that's canned what canned hunting, hunting is. Okay. Yeah. Like these should be management efforts for existing and contributing wildlife. You know what I mean? Like the populations of wildlife should be managed in order to balance with the carrying capacity of the land. And that means sometimes there aren't enough of a species and the species cannot be hunted that season. It's just yeah. like the way that we try to do fishing fisheries or fishing management here in the States. There are certain seasons where the numbers aren't where they need to be. So we can't fish those species. They need to rebound. And there are other seasons where we have an abundance of a certain type of fish. So it's okay to fish them out of the water so that we can get back to um, kind of like a homeostatic place. And that that really, I think, should be the goal for for most conservation management. Um, it's just not always done right. So when it is done oh, right, no. it's great to be able to celebrate it. That is good. I mean, I can see a lot of the value in that. Mm-hmm. I <laughs> I really try to understand, but I don't get the thrill of of just like killing an animal. Me I mean, neither. I don't get I, it either. 
like if someone said, oh, you can shoot an elephant. And I'm like, what? what why, why would I do that? Well, and the funny thing is, so there are people who work for reserves right like um sometimes they call them farms which are just which is weird because it's not the way we think of farming um but these large swaths of land and maybe they're um tour guides for photographic safaris or they are um private hunters for um hunting safaris or whatever um and it might be their job to cull animals periodically. So like if an elephant right. is too old and he's starting to get aggressive and let's say he's beating up on the other elephants in the herd or he's been a nuisance animal and he's been knocking down fences left and right. And just no matter what they do, he causes way more destruction or he's, you know, um, killed a, a community member and they're out crying and they're probably going to kill him if you don't, you know, intervene. Sometimes they're tasked with culling the animals. And I can tell you that, you know, I think a lot of these private hunters, they're pretty comfortable culling certain antelope or maybe giraffes, like animals that are more plentiful and that are easy to to turn into food. Um, but I think most people I've talked to that have culled an elephant in the past said it was traumatic, like that yeah. they had like bad dreams, that they cried, that they experienced a lot of really like negative psychological outcomes from doing it. And I think it's similar for people who, you know, are, are tasked with euthanizing an, an ape. If, if you're a moral person and you've done your homework and you know about these creatures, you know that taking its life is, is, is sad. Um, if you don't know anything about how sentient they are, um, maybe it's easier for you to keep separated from that. But I, I get it, though. I've I had to euthanize mice in my research practice for many right. years. It was hard at first and then it gets easier. Um, but I also always knew why I was doing it. And I think that that helped me because they were contributing to really important biomedical research. Um, and, you know, there's a everybody has a land, uh, a line in the sand. And so when I talk to animal rights activists and I myself I believe in animal welfare. I don't necessarily believe in animal rights. And there's an important distinction there. Are you but, a vegetarian? Just, no, or, I'm not. I kind of, I, I do though try to eat meatless multiple days a week though. So I'm definitely not a vegetarian. I do love meat. I, I would love to see a future where we have enough meat substitutions that feed those cravings and actually feed the nutritive requirements that it's easier to be vegetarian right now you have to make wild lifestyle changes and many yeah. people have done it successfully but for me as a texan it's like i it's a lot to unlearn um but i try my best to to you know balance those things but i i will say that um everybody has a line in the sand and i think it's really easy for a lot of people to pass judgment and say oh, it's so fucked up that you eat cows or, oh, I can't believe that you would hunt a deer um, without knowing why people do it. You know, the conservation efforts, the the actual food source efforts, all of that. But then it's like a bit hypocritical because it's like, well, where's your line in the sand? Do you yeah. kill mosquitoes? That's an animal. You know what I mean? And so it it feels arbitrary, but it's not. Everybody has to come up with their personal line. And for me, that line falls be behind, you know, really sentient animals. So things like elephants, great apes, dolphins. Yeah. For me, it's inexcusable. I have a very hard time with that. But but things, you know, beyond that, meat, meat source animals that are raised ethically and that are part of a greater landscape of conservation, it's a completely understandable 
thing to do for me again if it's done right oh yeah so Matt i can see that and Kara, yeah. if if you guys had massive amounts of money in your bank account i think you'd understand the thrill of the hunt i oh. think if you <laughs> if you get a ton of money if you're ludicrously wealthy it just mm-hmm. turns you into an asshole. And that's Look, I, I have a friend here who um, I, I was actually, he's, he's another pilot. I was fine with him. And he said like, oh yeah, I'm going down for that coyote hunt. And I was like, oh, the coyotes? Coyote? I could never shoot a coyote. I'm like, what's, what's a coyote hunt? He's like, oh, it's like every now and then when, the, when they start getting too many coyotes in Southern Utah, they just let people go out and shoot them. And you have to register. You can't just like go crazy, but like you have to register it. But it's literally like, so you're, it's not a meat animal, right? It's not, there's, it's no, not. That's a conservation effort. It's the same right, thing in Australia with effort. possums. They're invasive. So and they like, just list psychos. Yeah. As, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, hey, you're going to, I mean, maybe the, maybe it keeps them from doing something else, but. But like, I don't, I would a, enjoy it. I don't know. Like, like, I don't get pleasure out of it, but I understand some people get pleasure. Some people don't. It's just much more like a task for them. And some people, it's oh. not about the killing of the animal, but it's about the marksmanship and about, you know, I think people look at it different ways. And so I used to be very judgy about hunting, but I'm I'm much less so because I've met a lot of really ethical hunters in the meantime, and they've shared their stories and they've talked to me about their perspectives. And, and I get it, you know, I, I do. Uh, just because it's not for me doesn't mean that I have a high and mighty opinion about shit that I don't know. And I think that's a huge problem that we see in the West is that comfortable liberal Westerners love to talk about fucked up stuff happening in Africa without ever doing any of their research, without ever visiting these places. And what they don't realize is that their mentality affects policy there. Right. And so it's like, how about you shut up until you've educated yourself? Who um, You were just talking with someone on one of your episodes. She made a great point that when, when we go into other places and we try to help, quote, and a lot of times it's by our terms. And mm-hmm. she said it was it works way better when you just empower the people that actually live there. Right. Oh, I think that was uh, Maya Ajmira. So she's the um, yes, yeah, she's the CEO and the publisher of Science News and the Society for Science and the Public. But prior to being in that position, she actually founded the Global Fund for Children, and so she's done a lot of like NGO and nonprofit work. And what she realized is that, and, and I, it's not just her. I mean, this is well established now. NGOs don't work if you come into a place. It's almost like the Etic versus the Emic perspective in um anthropology i don't know if you guys know those words etic and oh emic. i'm an anthropologist i'll have you know <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have no that is idea. my degree <laughs> now Good. let me quickly google what you just said <laughs> <laughs> right so so there's the etic perspective and the emic perspective and the emic perspective is from within the social group and the etic perspective is from, oh, outside. from outside outside the social group yes, right yes. so historically <laughs> anthropology was super colonial right and you would go yeah. visit a culture and you would say like they are barbaric as compared to the Englishmen. And it was like totally fucked up. And then anthropology evolved and realized like, okay, an emic perspective makes more sense. Let's really get to know these people and empathize with them. And maybe we can, I don't know, just empower them to tell their own stories. And I can maybe work as a translator for that to the greater academic community. And so I think it's the same thing when it comes to NGOs and, you know, other forms of like public health, 
initiatives and charity organizations. It, that's why microloans do so well. There are horrific problems that people are trying to solve to get through the day. And you will always find activists within a community, um, no matter how poor, no matter how strained or resource poor they are. You will always find people who are trying to solve the problem in a way that makes sense for the cultural values, for the resources that are available. And if you can go in and help empower them by offering loans, for example, or by um, helping to provide certain necessary resources that are lacking so that they can get to a place where, because we know startup cap matters. We know this, right? And like, Oh yeah. I do the Kiva thing. Yeah. See, that's huge. And like, I actually, I subscribe and it's the silliest, stupidest thing, but I subscribe to like a monthly um, box, you know, these, like these, what are subscription services that we see oh, all right, the time. Right. And one yeah. of them is for like global goods made by artisans that have a fair trade model. And so they break down how they do their fair trade model is they'll visit, a, let's say there's an artisan in Morocco who makes um, pottery and they'll visit and they'll work together to develop a new style that they want to put in it in one of these, you know, delivery boxes. And they say, okay, how much does it cost? You know, what is the, what is the sale date we're going to, or what is the sale price? We're going to agree on all these terms. And then instead of paying on delivery, which is insane when somebody can't afford the basic resources to make it, they say, we're right. going to give you 50% up front or 60% or whatever it costs. And then on delivery, we'll give you the, the rest. Or they, you know, they don't undercut them and make them compete with a different kind of industry that can mass produce. So, so they have these fair trade standards that they utilize, which allows for these local workers to practice in a healthy and safe way. And I think that that is the important, like that's, I don't know, voting with your dollar. That's not paying for fast fashion, for example, and contributing to slave labor. And that's, you know, trying to buy things that aren't wrapped 10 times in in single use plastic and and those kinds of things. And it's freaking hard to do and it's exhausting and we all make mistakes. And it's not incumbent upon us, by the way, to move the needle this way. We need to be putting pressure on on our legislators to make it so that it's illegal for corporations to sell you water in a plastic bottle. Right, right. Um, They they really push the, the waste part of that onto the consumer. Yeah, that was actually like a, a concerted and orchestrated effort by these interest groups. I mean, they knew what they were doing, yeah. um, switching it over to reduce, reuse, recycle. And yeah, like that's that was all plastic industry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's all of it. Um, but what, what are you getting in these boxes? You get a monthly box. Yeah, I get a monthly box and you can choose. So like, what was my last box? It was a ramen bowl that was <laughs> made in um, Morocco. And it's really cool because it has a little hole in it to rest your chopsticks. It was a pair of chopsticks that were hand carved with little elephants on top in Kenya. And then it was um, a table runner that was hand woven. Oh, no, this one was a basket that was hand woven in Mexico. Yeah. So it's little things like housewares and things like that. Yeah. But they're really they're all really beautiful. And there's like options every month. So there will be like a coffee box or like a bake bake box or like my ramen box. I love it. It's really That's sweet. Awesome. Okay. A quick thing about poker before I have two <laughs> other things to finish with. Okay. Because <laughs> that was an amazing interview with um, uh, Maria. Maria. Yes. Anikova. Oh, my God. She's done so, so many with you guys. 
I want in on your poker game when it starts again. Oh my God. I'm you need to someone to take money from anyway. <laughs> I do. And Evan from SGU has been telling me that there is some platform that he uses where it's like an online poker game, but the room is, it sort of like integrates like a zoom platform with a poker platform. So you can play poker with your friends at a table. Which sounds ah, awesome. Okay. And you can like be on video while you're playing and stuff. So I really want to maybe before we get to the point where we can go back to doing an, a weekly or a monthly in-person game, I would love to start yeah. playing online with my friends in like a controlled way. Anyway. All right. I'm just going to invite myself then. Okay. Cool. Oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you have a podcast, your own mm-hmm. podcast. I mean, you're also on the Skeptic Guide Universe. That's just yeah. your side job. The real one is Talk Nerdy. Of yeah, course. I've been doing Talk Nerdy about maybe like a year and a half or two years longer than I've been on SGU. Right. So I'm going to combine those two things. Because <laughs> on the SGU, you guys do a little game called uh, Science or Fiction, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to steal that. Okay. And I'm going to test your knowledge of your former faith. Or I don't know how much it was, your former faith, Mormonism. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> this is called... Talk nerdy or talk turdy? <laughs> I made that up okay. myself. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Uh, and Chuck, you can play two, but Kara gets to go first since she's our guest. Um, so I got three things about the Mormon church here, and you got to figure out which one is nerdy and which one is turdy. <laughs> okay. So there, two right. of them are real and one is fake? Two are real, one is, yeah, same rules okay. as, um, you guys paying attention? You ready? I think so. Right. Hit us, hit us, Matt. Hey, Kara, we, I don't know how to we, send this to you, so you're just going to have to remember them, or you can ask me, I guess. But yeah. We both share right. our former religion, so we're both former. Good, wait. Former. I don't know if you ever, were you ever really Mormon? Just I was. Up that way. Born and yeah. raised until 15. When did you leave? Uh, I was baptized in uh, my grandma's swimming pool, so I wasn't actually part of the actual church, but more of a fundamentalist type. Oh, fuck. Oh, that's that's worse. Yeah, my yeah. faith kind of uh, fell away late high school, early college, and definitely by medical okay. school. So. so when we were both, like, let's say, in middle school, for example, you would have been like Bill Paxton's character on Big Love. And I would have been like the nosy neighbor across the street who's like, something's up with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Okay, cool. Yep. All right, got it. Uh, I also played at his house for years, and I didn't know any of this stuff was going on, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, because fundies, fundies try to hide it. If they don't live on a compound, they have to hide it. You got to keep it close to the vest. Otherwise, the feds will come in and break exactly. up the family. Yeah. Oh, Wait, and you tell your dad. Bombs? No, they believed oh. in polygamy, but they never took the plunge. My grandfather uh, waited until all nine of his kids were fully raised, and then he took a second wife just to fulfill the requirement. <laughs> so he wasn't like that into it yeah correct yeah cool okay anyway. yeah chuck i wasn't aware really how flds you guys were until um your dad was the he became a lawyer for uh the was it the swaps or the singers yeah the singer swaps who uh bombed that empty church in like oakley or something well yeah yeah <laughs> crazy okay here we go number one Members of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints do not drink tea, coffee, alcohol, or smoke tobacco because they believe those things are drugs. Number two, the Mormon Church worth about $100 billion. It's a combination of investment funds and church tithing. And number three, the Book of Mormon states that God cursed people of color, and that's why Native Americans are dark-skinned. 
All right. Okay. So number one, they don't drink. You said tea, coffee. What else did you say? Alcohol. Yeah. Alcohol or tobacco. Right. So you did word the right things because I know in the Doctrine and Covenants, it mentions tea, coffee, or any hard drink. I think that's how they word it. So some people decided that that meant no caffeine and they wouldn't let like they wouldn't drink soda. But some people are like, no, I'm going to read that as it is. So it's only tea and coffee and soda is okay. And chocolate's okay. Like they they sort of like made whatever application of that they would. Um, My question is, because they think it's a drug, it doesn't say that anywhere. It literally just says like thou shalt not, you know, consume any tea, coffee or any hard drink. It doesn't say because they are drugs. So that might be the fiction. I don't know. The second one about it being worth $100 billion um, and it's a combination of would you say like investment funds and tithing? Yeah. Tithing's 10% of your income and the church fucking takes that shit from you. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's a hundred billion. It's probably big. I mean, it's a business that, that we can all probably agree on. This church is a basically a bullshit nonprofit business where they're able to not pay taxes. And then um, the third one was, I think the Mark of Cain whole situation where, yeah, they believe that, um, I think it comes back to Cain and Abel, and Cain was bad, so he got marked. And what they really interpreted that as was that he was given black skin. Um, the Native Americans thing is complicated because they think that's a fallen tribe of Israel. So we might be conflating two things because I think the mark of Cain was actually not in the Book of Mormon. It was in the Bible, and they just like interpret that fundamentally as being why black people have dark skin and maybe also why anybody who's not white has darker skin. Again, this is all the church saying this shit. I don't believe in any of this shit. This is all bullshit. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, no, this is all, this so, maybe, all bullshit. so maybe that's the fiction because I think it's nuanced, right? Like what are we looking at? Maybe the first one is the fiction because they never actually overtly call them drugs. Or maybe the last one is fiction because, um, you're sort of conflating that the the mark of Cain is from the Bible. And then in the Book of Mormon, they talk about the the lost tribes of Israel. And that's what became the Native Americans. Um, but yes, some of them do believe that Native Americans have dark skin because ultimately they're all the descendants of Cain, anybody who's not white. So I don't know which one I should say is the fiction because it's like more of a literal translation thing. Maybe because it seems like they never overtly said that they're drugs. We'll go with number one being the fiction. Okay. Chuck? Chuck, take the last uh, one. <laughs> Cover our bases. <laughs> I, I think you pretty much nailed it. I think um, the, the text of the Revelation is that, uh, that like hot drinks or strong drinks are not good for the belly. And that's <laughs> not because they're drugs per se. The hundred billion, uh, who knows how much it's worth. Could it's worth more, a lot of money. Right. Right. But we don't have access to their finances. So I don't know if we can put a specific amount on. The last one, definitely. In the Book of Mormon, it's even worse. You know, there's this tribe that broke off from the Nephites and the Lamanites, and God cursed the Lamanites specifically with a dark skin and a flat nose, specifically so that they would not be enticing unto my people. That's how racist this book is. Yeah, yeah. Clearly, 19th century bullshit. Right, like no uh, one's going to want to fuck them. Exactly. Wow. So like explicitly in there. Yeah. And then uh, their skins get darker and better as they get more righteous and less righteous. <laughs> I think at one point, some prophet goes, I'm afraid, brethren, that the Lamanite skinner is going to be whiter than yours uh, if you're not careful and be more righteous. But it's just awful. That one, yeah. I think, it is correct. I'm going to go with the number one, the drugs. I'm, I'm with you on that one. All right. Oh, 
crap. Well, see, there's I swept you. You guys swept me. <laughs> Correct. Uh, this is a, there's no uh, repercussions from winning or losing. So. <laughs> All right, let's take it in. Uh, y'all think number one's true. So we'll take a reverse order. Ha ha. Okay. Number three, the Book of Mormon states that God cursed people of color, and that's why Native Americans are dark skinned. This one is, of course, nerdy. You guys nailed it. Uh, Chuck really explained it. Um, Yeah, you did. You knew a little more. And you've got to remember, too, within the Book of Mormon, there's the stuff that's written and then all the shit that they teach you. And unfortunately, they think women don't have, like, brains. So they teach us how to bake cookies, and then they teach the guys all the, like, real (laughs) shit. Like, all the church doctrine. Yeah, (laughs) the girls go off to, like, can't remember the names of this stuff, like, sunbeams and shit, and then they go into Relief Society. Yeah, the the beehives and the laurels. Yeah, the Young Women's (laughs) Society. And we literally (laughs) learn, like, domestic slavery while you guys learn how to, like, I don't know, be prophets or something. At least, though, you get some life skills out of that shit. We got nothing. Well, no, but you guys had to be Boy Scouts, so you got life skills. Oh, I skipped the Boy Scouts entirely. Yeah, because you were FLDS, but like the the LDS, <laughs> like the, the people who like right. went to the brick and mortar church, they most of the boys had to be Boy Scouts. <laughs> so those oh, kids man. got me lost in the mountains. Yeah, they uh, could tie knots and start fires and shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, the church, the church has stated that nothing in the Book of Mormon precludes migration into the Americas by peoples of Asiatic origin. <laughs> If you want to defend them. <laughs> um, but the non-canonical introduction to the 1981 LDS Church edition of the Book of Mormon states that the Lamanites are the principal ancestors of the American Indians. And then they changed that wording in the 2006 Doubleday edition and any subsequent editions um, to say only that Lamanites are among the ancestors of, of the American Indians. Correct. They're forced to because of DNA. Yeah, it's like every time new science comes out, they're like, yeah, yeah. Fuck. oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, oh shit, they're on to us. We made all this shit up. <laughs> uh, that's still what gets me about this religion that it's uh, 150 years old and people just love it. Uh, I don't yeah, it's like, about. guys, like, we can just check all this shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did you even realize that? <laughs> this is recent memory. Uh, but they're Scientologists too, so. Uh. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go to number one, then, members of the church, Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, not drink tea, coffee, alcohol, smoke tobacco, because they think they're drugs. Uh, really good analysis, Kara. <laughs> and Chuck, um, yeah, you guys nailed it. This is the dirty. Yay. Hey, now, people sometimes say that to me, but uh, but that's not why. It is forbidden in the doctrine of covenants. Chuck even quoted part of it. Um, yep. That... Inasmuch as any man drinketh wine or strong drink among you, behold, it is not good. I fucking hate the Book of Mormon writings. <laughs> it's, it's so shit. Terrible. Well, remember, it was translated out of a hat or whatever the fuck. <laughs> uh, neither yeah. meet in the sight yeah. of your father. We're in the Doctrine and Covenants now, so this is the direct word of God. This oh, you're God. right. Yeah, the deal. Mm-hmm. Joseph Smith. So you're critiquing Jesus right now. True. How yeah, dare you? You're about to be stricken by some <laughs> yeah. lightning. Well, my favorite part is the, uh, and again, strong drinks are not for the belly, but for the washing of your bodies. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, so you can I, bathe in coffee. I guess. <laughs> I, and again, alcohol. tobacco oh, is alcohol, not for right, the body. Right. Hot Neither for the belly. The belly. The belly is not good for man, but is an herb for bruises and all sick cattle to be used with judgment and skill. 
And again, <laughs> shitty 19th century medicine, you know, like the current thinking oh, yeah. of the 19th century. Yeah. It's, it's like snake oil. Hot drinks are not for the body or the belly. So, yeah. yeah. Just no hot drinks at all. I don't care what's yeah. going on. Somehow that got translated into caffeine. And so now you can't drink cold drinks with caffeine either, you know. But right. Yeah. A lot of people can drink Coke. Now they allow caffeinated beverages in the BYU. So, progress. Yeah. Nice. That's because they own steak and Coca-Cola. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to number two. Uh, that one was nerdy. They are. It's around a hundred billion dollars. Um, this was. This information was released by a whistleblower that uh, worked for the company. The funds managed by uh, Ensign. He was a um, former portfolio manager, and he he filed a claim with the IRS. The, the IRS. That accused the Ensign of taking in billions from members' ties, other donations, and not spending any of it over a 22-year period. They're supposed to spend it on charitable purposes, right? Um, yeah, but yeah. if you're a nonprofit, you don't technically have to spend your money. You can hoard it. Well, I, that's, that's what they've been doing. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about being a nonprofit. Like, if you're a corporation, you take in money and you have money go out, and then you pay taxes on, you know, your your the money that you're holding. But if you're a nonprofit, you can just roll it over every year. You think when you get to a hundred billion, you would, <laughs> you could like ease up on tithing. You'd be like, you know what? Like keep a little more this month. <laughs> like, yeah. We're good. Like the tithing thing. That should piss me off. Like, cause they take tithing from kids allowance. <laughs> like they start young. They give them That's these stealing weird, candy from a baby. Yeah. They give them <laughs> these weird piggy banks that have, yeah. that are segmented and there's a 10% little section for your tithing. Uh, the and church is calling that they are stockpiling the money to use in case of disaster or catastrophe. Uh, AKA the I second say, coming of Jesus. <laughs> the millennium. Where's that money? We've just, we've had two, I mean, <laughs> right. you know, COVID, but we had an earthquake earlier this year. And then actually the day uh, we originally were going to talk, we had a huge windstorm in Salt Lake. Uh, I lost power for almost three days. There's still branches and, and stuff in the streets they're cleaning up. Tons of trees got knocked over. Um, oh, yeah, you, so, you know, they're only cleaning up the Mormons' houses. Well, my neighbors, <laughs> like, there's a Mormon church, like, every 20 feet away. They're probably behind there. on their tithing. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. It's Matt, the emerge- the catastrophe is empty bank accounts of the apostles. That's the, yeah, that's exactly. the true catastrophe. That's a disaster. How is your uh, biblical end of the world going, Carrick? Because um, I've actually been flying in and out of California uh, a lot lately. And yeah. holy shit, there's some big fires down there. Right. So it's it's worse the farther north you go. Obviously, yeah. um, Oregon is in a n- not good way. Washington's not in a great way, even NorCal. Um, there's a big fire pretty close to where I live. I live in on the east side of LA in Eagle Rock, which is pretty close to Pasadena. And I there's a saw fire that yesterday. Yeah, the Bobcat County. fire. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so the Bobcat fire is like in the Angeles National Forest. They don't think it'll be contained until mid-October. And at least the sky is clearer directly overhead now so if you go outside the sky has a blue tint to it but if you look to the mountains there's just a big thick smoke kind of hanging in the air but there were a couple of weeks there where you really shouldn't go outside the air was um, hazardous and so like who knew that these n95 
you know, COVID masks would come in handy just for me to walk my dog. But now it's, I feel a little safer walking outside. Um, it, I don't taste the air. It, you definitely could smell it and taste it like the city was on being barbecued. Um, and there was ash all over everything for a while. But it's that part of it, at least where I live, is not as bad. And yeah, I mean, it's the fucking apocalypse. <laughs> like, what yeah. can I say? It's like the wildfire. We just had a pretty brutal earthquake a few days ago. It was only a four point oh, something. Yeah, it was a low Richter scale, but it was one of the more violent ones I felt. And I realized it's because the epicenter was in San Gabriel, which is only like, you know, a handful of miles from me. So it was I was basically on top of it, which is why it felt so violent. But there were no aftershocks or anything. So um, so that was OK. And there was no damage to my house. It was just like, wow, that's a intense earthquake. Yeah, and we're I kind think of ours was 5.7. Yeah, oh. I mean, obviously the 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 intensity on the Richter scale is meaningful, but it also is meaningful how close you are to the right. site of the earthquake. Um, and usually they're much farther away, right? It'll be in like San Diego or it'll be in like Baja or something and we'll feel it or somewhere yeah. along the San Andreas a little farther North. But this one was like, Oh, it's in like the next city over. <laughs> like right. shit. Um, I, yeah. I went to, um, I actually got this thing. It's called being a check airman in the airline industry. And uh, it's, it just means you train new pilots and you do checks on them. It's it's uh, it's only pilots that are just amazing. Just so much better than <laughs> everyone else. <laughs> uh, I've been trying to get that for a few years. And um, it also pays better. But um, I literally walked into our training center that's uh, at the Salt Lake Airport. And it's uh, just a few miles away from the epicenter of the earthquake. And I walked in the door and put my bag down and the, the building started shaking. They're just like, everybody out. And we went outside and then they eventually canceled it. And, uh, you know, that's not what you're supposed to do when there's an earthquake is go outside. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the most dangerous place to be in an earthquake is anywhere near the facade of a building. Because have you ever looked at like imagery post earthquake where there are really severe earthquakes. And you'll notice that all of the buildings and houses look like dioramas, like the front of the building fell off. Oh, right. And you right. can see into it. So if you're anywhere near a doorway, that's really dangerous. So going through a doorway in the middle of an earthquake is not what you want to do. You want to get to the center most part, the most structurally sound part of your building and get underneath a table and like, you know, put your head down and brace like because probably if you're going to be injured it's going to be from debris Falling yeah on you. but you also don't wow. want to be like in the part of your building that falls off <laughs> like that's where you could really seriously get injured so it always True. amazes me in la when an earthquake happens and people run outside i'm like did you not pay attention in elementary school <laughs> like what the fuck um and it's also weird that they'd be like get out like do what you would usually do in a tornado you guys know about yeah, tornadoes take, take in utah shelters. Yeah, take shelter. We, we do get one every now and then. Yeah, I grew up in Texas, born and raised. So it's like I went from tornadoes to earthquakes because I'm smart, apparently. Well, and fires. I used to... And fires. Yeah, that too. Well, that's, that's we should... the four seasons of L.A. Sorry. Fires, yeah. floods, earthquakes, and uh, what is it? Wind? <laughs> we should probably yeah. let you... We should probably let you go, Kara. We've uh, sure. monopolized your time for long enough. But we should do what we didn't do in the beginning of the episode, which is formally introduce you and mm -hmm. talk about all the stuff that you've done. Sure. That's right. Man. Go ahead, Chuck. <laughs> I was like, do you want me to do that? Because I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> You're the communicator. But we all know that you 
co-host skeptical guide to the universe but also you have um talk nerdy to me podcast and a tv show is that right uh yeah so i was the i've done a lot of tv shows over the years that's been my main source of income is working yeah. in in television my most recent show was um brain games on national okay. geographic uh hosted by keegan michael key and i was the science communicator on that it's Probably not moving forward because of COVID, but the season that we did do is, um, I think, available on Disney+. Plus. Um, and that was a whole lot of fun, and I loved it. And I, I love Nat Geo, so hopefully I'll be working with them on, on something else in the future. Um, is that canceled, mm-hmm. or is it just on hiatus? Yeah, it's hard to say, but let's just say we're not filming right now, <laughs> and probably okay. not anytime soon. Because I, I caught the show, I liked it. I was a little worried because I was like, this show might be a little too smart. Because there's, I mean, the most popular game show I see now is one where you assign a rating to something that's unpleasant. Uh, <laughs> the Misery Index. That's what it's called. I, yeah, it shows just, a little I, different than that. <laughs> right. And I'm just like, why? is It's like, this is almost as bad as the show that had, like, you just choose a briefcase. You right. Know? Like, <laughs> you remember that episode of um, 30 Rock? It's like deal or no deal, except it's like pure gold blocks. And so then the person was just standing there like the model was trying to hold up the suitcase. And it was like so obvious. The one was like struggling to hold the gold bars. And they're like, it's that one. I'll take that one. And they're like, shit, I can't. Um, anyway. But yeah. So um, so yeah, I did the TV show. I um, do the two podcasts. Talk Nerdy is my show. It's technically called Talk Nerdy with Kara Santa Maria. You can search it on any podcast app. I've been with, with um, The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe first for a while we wrote a book recently actually it's been like over a year now so you can check that out the skeptics guide to the universe book and i've gone back to school i went back to school four years ago to continue my education after being out of academia for like over a decade so i previously had um an undergrad degree in psychology and philosophy and a master's in neurobiology i've since gotten my past through master's in clinical psych and I am a fourth year PhD student now working on a clinical psychology PhD with an emphasis in social justice and diversity. I'm existentially oriented. So I do existential humanistic psychotherapy. And I've just started at a new practicum site where I'll be working with outpatient cancer patients. So working on things like meaning making and and some of the struggles that they're dealing with throughout their treatment and after and maybe some end of life decision making as well. Um, and that's really my oh, wow. area of interest is terminal illness, life limiting illness and um, hospice care. That's what I ultimately, I think, want to do with my work. And um, yeah, I'm very interested in death. I think it's an important growth phase for a lot of people. I think we're a death denying society and we don't think about it enough. We don't embrace it and accept it enough. And we definitely don't help people enough who are in a very tough place in their lives. So that's kind of where I want to put my effort in the future. I've probably got two more years, I would say. I've got two. I finished most of my coursework. So now I'm working on my dissertation and just getting my clinical hours. And then um, I will also have to do a year-long internship before I finally get the PhD. What is, what is wow. the end part of getting a PhD? I mean, I have a bachelor's degree. I know mm-hmm. what that is. You just finish school and yeah, there you go. But that's de- different, right? Yeah, like- it depends on your field. So for me to get a PhD in clinical psychology, because it's an applied psychology, but it's a PhD, so it's a research or scholar practitioner model, you do defend a thesis or a dissertation. So you have to, you know, get approval, 
collect data, write it up, defend it, do all that good stuff, try and get it published. Um, you also are, have to do 1,520 clinical hours, so 1,520 you know, therapy hours in order to qualify then to apply for internship. You do your internship. It's like a match pro- process, just like med school. And it's a full year, 40-hour week commitment where they pay you slave wages. Um, and then when you yeah. finally graduate, so you have to do all those things and and pass your quals and of course, take all your coursework. So you have to do all those things in order to graduate. And then you get your doctorate. Um, there's like a hooding ceremony, just like most PhD ceremonies where they put you in the weird pumpkin suit. And then as a clinical psychologist, depending on your jurisdiction. So like we're in, I'm in California. So I then need to do two years of postdoctoral clinical work where I'm practicing under a licensed psychologist's license before I can qualify to go out for licensure. Um, That sounds like government overreach to me. (laughs) (laughs) It's important though, because, you know, psychologists can like mess you up if they don't know what they're doing. So (laughs) I do think it's important to have that kind of regulation. But then (laughs) once you do your postdoc and in California, it's actually looser. You don't have to do a a technical postdoc. You just have to do two years worth of postdoctoral therapy. Some places you have to like you know, apply for and and get a postdoctoral fellowship at like a hospital or a clinic. Here you could work anywhere so long as you have a therapist who's licensed that you're working under. And then, yeah, you get your your postdoc. You are able to then take the licensing exam and um, and get your license. And then you're free to practice just like, you know, a physician would be. You're licensed. You're a member of the uh, governing body that oversees the ethics and you can do all sorts of things as a psychologist that, you know, we have the world open to us from a therapeutic perspective, because in many ways, it's like the the upper level of what you can achieve academically. So we can do therapy, but we can also do assessment. Um, and some other like types of therapists can't do certain types of assessments. You can be a forensic psychologist. Oh, cut out you know, there for a second. Fitness. You still there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, did, you lose me? did you say prescribed drugs? Because that's all I was listening for. Oh, oh no. my God! Psychologists everything except for prescribing. Yeah, drugs. psychologists can't suppress. Cut out! I was like, I think she said. No, yeah, we can't drugs. prescribe drugs. There are certain states that are pushing for prescriptive authority only of psychotropic drugs. I'm not interested in that, though. Not that I don't think drugs are important, but that's I. I think if you have a mental health issue in which you need that kind of intervention, you should be seeing a psychiatrist and a psychologist right. anyway. Um, so the psychiatrists, unfortunately, often don't offer therapy. And so they're there to make sure that your medical management of your mental health issues is is up to par. And then the therapist is there to do the psychological management. So the talk therapy portion and other, good, types, every, other types of interventions, too, not just every, psych, every psychiatrist I've ever met is clinically depressed. Has been clinically <laughs> well, I think it's the same for a lot of psychologists, to be honest, because right. it's it's a really important field to go into, but it takes a lot of effort and a lot of work. And so you really have to want it. And a lot of people go into fields that require intensive work because they have a vested interest in it, right? Like you'll often see that a cancer doctor became a cancer doctor because they had an experience where, you know, they lost a parent to cancer or something. And I think you see the same thing with psychology. Um, either they personally struggled with a mental illness or somebody in their family struggled with a mental illness and they decided, or they grew up in foster care and they met a lot of therapists or, you know, whatever the case may be. 
And so, but if they are depressed, you know, they're obviously either in remission or they're, they have good management because most practicing clinicians have their own therapists and obviously um, care a lot about mental health and work-life balance. So, you know, we all have that focus. If we're well, that sounded amazing to close out. So you can go. Mm-hmm. We have two completely original questions. We ask everybody at the end of every episode. <laughs> Karen, when you look to the future, what is the thing you're most worried about, most concerned about, maybe pessimistic, maybe cynical, or keeps you up at night? And the opposite on the flip side, what are you excited about, optimistic about, or looking forward to? Right. So it's Does always- anybody ever get you that? Get yeah, you back that? every so often <laughs> when I do, when I do a podcast interview, but not always. Um I- you know, there are so many things, right, when I'm looking to the future. So we could list, we could rattle off climate change, this upcoming election, you know, um, a fear of a despotic leader taking, you know, <laughs> control of our country, blah, 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 blah. But I think one of the things that I mentioned that's important to mention is like getting down beneath that. Like, what is the root cause of a lot of these issues? What is the root cause of climate change? Why haven't we been able to do anything about it? Why is government stalling in these reasons, uh, in these areas? Why can't we get along, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I think lots of times it comes down to tribalism. But even if you were to get deeper still, I think that one of the biggest fundamental problems in society as a whole is a lack of empathy. So I think the thing that keeps me up the most at night is an inability for many people to put themselves, really put themselves in the shoes of other people and make decisions that are based on a deep sense of humanity. Because I think if we were always able to do that and we were really practiced in that, then regardless of our policies and our ideologies and how we think we should go about doing things, there would be some sort of like fundamental common ground where the goal would be to not allow people to suffer. And I think that's really lacking in, in, you know, multiple governments and multiple societies around the world. Um, On the flip side of that, what am I looking forward to? I mean, I, I have to say I'm looking forward to getting Trump out of power, whenever that might be. That's the most salient and most pressing thing right now, because I think we will finally be able to breathe. There's a lot of other shit that I be optimistic about, but a lot of it's on hold right now. It's like between the pandemic and the scary totalitarian direction that American government is going. I mean, we are about to fall like Rome. And if we're not careful, it's going to be like Rome meets Nazi Germany. Like there's so much at stake right now. So uh, what I'm looking forward to is coming together to prevent that from happening. Hopefully we are successful. If we are not, then I'm just going to have to keep looking forward to it for the next four years because term limits do exist in this country. And um, I, I don't believe in my heart of hearts that Trump will be able to violate the constitution that blatantly. So um, he, he's been able to get away with a lot, but I think there's something that's beyond the pale, even for his supporters, yeah. um, which is that he can't just, you know, grant himself dictatorship. And hopefully at least we draw the line there. So I'm looking right. forward to that. My actual <laughs> last question, I actually do ask this. People, what what did we not ask you today that you wished we had asked you? Or we should have asked you. <laughs> I mean, I think what is something you always hope people want to talk to you about and they don't bring it up? Right. I think that what we talked about was really relevant today. I think what I've gotten more interested in talking about lately is 
death and dying and death denial and mortality salience and like some of the areas of my interest in research and practice in psychotherapy. Um, and I think most people don't bring it up because they know me as a science communicator. So they want to talk right. about, you know, my public persona, which is me. I mean, it's not a difference. It's just what I've always been doing up until this point. But now, because I have this secondary, which has become in many ways, my primary interest, that's actually taking the vast majority of my time. That's, you know, that's what's in my mind. It's like the book I just read or the article I just read. And so and there's so much to share with regards to society's view of death and dying with regards to our own personal relationships with uh, mortality that I'm interested and excited to start having those kinds of conversations more often. So maybe that's something we can do the next time we chat. Yeah. I got to make a note of that. Ask Kara things she's actually interested about. (laughs) There you go. Actually, I had a whole bunch of other shit. But I don't know. We just got off on the no, what we talked about was so relevant and so like right yeah. now. So yeah, there is that. Yes. Well, thank you so much for doing this again. Yeah. As, thanks for coming on. This long, but especially yeah, since good. I said thirty minutes. <laughs> thirty minutes, two hours, whatever. Yeah. Oh, um, awesome.